Welcome to the Formula Nun podcast, starting from P20. We are two very enthusiastic Formula One fans here to talk about Formula One as much as we can in a very strictly regulated half an hour window. My name is Nikolai and I am our so-called Formula One expert on the podcast and on the other end we have Patrick. Say hello Patrick. Hello everyone, as ever I'm still a novice and I haven't been looking at the news. I will be discovering a lot of things in this podcast along with you. So we have uh, a little bit to talk about with the race. I'm going to say race in very inverted mm, commas. Race. Um, because <laughs> race race is a stretch uh, for this particular one and it certainly caused a lot of controversy. And I tell you what we have seen a lot of um, this year is said controversy uh, in various one ways, shapes or forms. So we just had another one. Um, you know, for, for your first season of Formula 1, I tell you what, you really are experiencing something truly out of the ordinary it is formula one year has been going for 71 years we have never had what we had in this particular race so it's like a great time to have started supporting the sport personally there's a lot to get into i'm actually petrified that when um the time comes around for a normal season that you're going to be like what is this sport this is not the sport that i like <laughs> this is a different yeah sport. i don't want any of this it's too dull <laughs> so i'll be really interested to see whether in the long run that's where formula one ends up like the more entertaining i'd say what we've got now whether that's how it carries on in the future or if we're experiencing something out of the norm because i have to say last year was quite like this as well so oh, cool should be interesting to see well tell us what happened at spa nick yes yeah, so well let's start with um let's start with qualifying so qualifying was carried out in varying conditions uh starting from quite wet to towards the end it dried out a lot what we saw in the first couple of sessions was Norris was looking really fast in uh, in Q1 and Q2. Norris was looking really fast. Verstappen was also looking pretty quick. Russell was looking pretty quick. And the Mercedes were struggling. Yeah. Um, especially early on, I think at one point I genuinely thought that, uh, that Hamilton and Bottas may not make the top 10, but they did manage to drag themselves in there in the end. And that was really where the excitement kicked off. And actually, I just want to say as well, you know, Spa is probably probably the most dangerous track left on the calendar, I think, um, in terms of the speed and the proximity of the, the barriers um, and all that kind of stuff that comes with it, as, as well as the conditions, because Spa often can be really challenging conditions. So uh, Q3 rolled around. Now, from memory, it rained again. Um, yep, and was really wet. So they went from they were on slicks, I think, at the end of Q two, and they I think they were on um, they were on slick tires, and then it rained, and uh, and they were not on slicks anymore. And Russell, uh, not Russell, Norris was the first car out, and as he went up Eau Rouge for the first time on his uh, qualifying lap, he lost the car just a little bit, tried to correct, and when he corrected, the car grabbed and spat him straight into the wall at the top of Eau Rouge which fired him out onto the track and is actually, um, when I talk about danger, that's what we've seen. That's what killed uh, Antoine Hubert two years ago at Spa. And they had a very pretty serious accident in the um, W Series as well with the same kind of thing where the driver hit the barrier on the inside of Eau Rouge and it fired him back into the middle of the track where he got collected by another car. 
actually sorry i was saying yeah him. she that's what happened for the yeah for the formula w actually took out quite a few cars in the formula in the um sorry not formula ww series race yeah so quite dangerous anyway that's what happened to norris thankfully he didn't get taken out by anyone you know what i haven't got in my show notes is the whole sebastian vettel thing so let's back let's back the truck up a little bit here it was really teeming down um with rain as yeah. they went around and a lot of the drivers were saying it's pretty bad. We're aquaplaning. I think when you look at Norris's onboard from the his outlap, he's saying I'm aquaplaning on the straights. Um, Vettel was saying this is not the right conditions. We should red flag it. Quite quite a lot as well. It wasn't just in it, passing. Yeah, it was repeated. Yeah, there was plenty of drivers. Um, yeah, like you say, um, it wasn't just in passing. So there's plenty of drivers saying that something needed to happen, and. Um, as Norris had his crash in Eau Rouge, uh, Sebastian Vettel was coming out of La Source, which is the first turn, and Eau Rouge really being the second corner. And his team thankfully got on the radio and said, hey, there's been a crash, um, slow down, you, you know, you need to slow down. And Norris had a crash ahead of you, and Vettel very quickly said, what what the f*** did I say? <laughs> like, I told you this should be yeah. a red flag. Um, and then immediately was really concerned for Norris, so drove right up to Norris's car, sticking his thumb out making sure he got a thumbs up back from Norris and I am 100% sure had he not he would have been out of his car in an instant and Sebastian Vettel has turned into the hero we didn't know we needed in Formula 1 yeah I agree he's become the Batman of Formula 1 he really has he used to be the um the the pantomime villain of Formula 1 for a time and look he's done some pretty dumb things uh you know back in uh 2012 or or I can't remember the exact year I think it was 2012 he had a um he had a a incident where he had been told to follow team orders and to finish the race behind his teammate and he disobeyed it and passed his teammate to take the win so that sort of set him up and then obviously there's the incident where he banged wheels with lewis hamilton after he felt that lewis mm. hamilton had brake tested him but i have to say to be honest since then oh there was also the um a couple of other swearing incidents <laughs> um but since then i think i've seen nothing but good from sebastian vettel and this was just another example of of him showing his statesmanship and leading by example the other really cool thing that happened during this was um i think it was martin brundle in the commentary box oh who, yeah as we did the panning shot onto Eau Rouge it's like oh I think it might have gone off and we didn't see the car he guessed it and he it had it was an excellent call well you could not see the car like you literally no. couldn't see the car when the car went behind the trees and he said has that car gone around and I was thinking to myself no nah, mate you've got this one wrong expecting to see uh, Norris came out the top of Eau Rouge, and he did come out the top of Eau Rouge, but he came out sideways with only two wheels mm. on his car. Not as we expected. So, <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. And I think, uh, you know, we spoke um, very highly of Martin Brundle before, and he continues to live up to that really just, yeah. He, he Impeccable is a, standard of commentator. Exactly, yeah. It's, uh, it's really, uh, really cool to see. So after all that happened, uh, we had a red flag. They repaired the wall. And we eventually got back up and running again. I'm just struggling to remember what happened other than a particular young Englishman almost took pole away. Now, who was that young Englishman, Patrick? Oh, it was my favourite man in the game, George Russell. It was. How good was that lad? In a Williams in as well. Yeah, in that car. I've heard plenty of people say in the last few days, they think this will be a lap that will be talked about forever. There's another thing people talk about, which is Damon Hill in 1997, I think, in the Arrows, which was an absolute crap car, um, almost winning in the Hungarian Grand Prix. And that's where they kind of set it up with, is this just amazing, you can't ignore me anymore moment, <laughs> you know, for, it was so for good. George Russell. I mean, the commentators said as a joke, come on, Toto, give him a job. 
So I know there, there is yeah. no doubt in my mind that um, you know Toto I think said this week um, in the weekend that the deal is done, not specifying who the deal is done for, but the deal is done. And how could they possibly ignore him after the performances that he's had this year? But we'll talk about that a little bit more further down Excellent. the road. So Max, in the end, just managed to take pole from George Russell by about three tenths, I think. And uh, I think I talked about this with Patrick at the time. I had this moment of, will Max let Russell take pole? Which is exactly yeah. why I'm not a champion of anything. <laughs> because <laughs> I think like that. Because there is no way that a driver would ever do it. And i just so gutted because I really thought, I think Norris was the favourite. And, and from what I'd seen in the previous two sessions, Norris was a favourite for pole. And yeah. that would have been really, really cool to see. So qualifying ended and we had a bit of rain and a pretty spectacular result for George Russell. And I think Lewis Hamilton ended up third on the grid. Bottas, I think, finished two and a half seconds down on Hamilton. And Perez really far back on Verstappen as well. Yeah, uh, I think in a did. couple of seconds. Uh, Ricciardo qualified fifth, I think, which was pretty good. Still, he had been a long way behind Norris, but he still managed to put his car up there. And then... Bottas took a grid penalty for his part in the Hungarian Grand Prix, which knocked him back a few places on the grid. So if we roll around till Sunday, so let's talk about a bit of a timeline events. It was really wet, no doubt in my mind about that. Perez crashed his car on the way to the grid. Not not a great start, to be fair. Not a great start, especially, oh, by the way, Perez now a Red Bull driver for next year. So that was announced about the same time, not long before he managed to crash his car. Then it rained really heavily and we had a whole bunch of delays before they initially got away for one lap behind the safety car, never started the race and red flagged it. So this caused a lot of confusion, um, I'm going to say. For instance, and, and where I really see it sort of come to a bit of a head was the race never actually technically started. Now the timer started for the race starting, but the race did not start. So they Red Bull started fixing Perez's car. And the FIA told them you cannot put Perez's car back on the grid. He's had outside assistance after the race start. And then they went back to him and said, well, has the race actually started? And then, <laughs> and then the director had to go back and say, oh yeah, no, it hasn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, that is quite interesting. And, and really a bit of a reflection, I think, on where Michael Massey is at the moment and not understanding probably the rules as well as he should. And you haven't been watching Formula One at a time when Charlie Whiting was around. Now, Charlie Whiting was a previous race director before he actually sadly passed away at the Australian Grand Prix in uh, she, three years ago now, I think, maybe 2018 or 2019. He passed away um, on the, on the, during the weekend. Oh wow! But that, but Charlie Whiting knew Formula One from start to end. He knew the whole thing, and he was sort of revered as the man. If the teams went to him and they gave him an answer, they could depend on that answer. Got but it. I don't think Michael Massey is exactly ticking that box at the so, moment. So Michael Massey is the director of FIA. No, not FIA. The uh, the race director for Formula One. Ah, okay. So cool. he yeah directs the racing side of Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, and that was really like demonstrated, I think, when Red Bull went and and they said, no, you can't race the car. And Red Bull said, hang on, what do you mean? The race hasn't started. And he was like, oh, yeah. So we had a really, really long waiting period and it rained really heavily. And then eventually the rain eased a little bit and they decided to go out. They did two laps behind the safety car before coming in back into the pits with the red flag. At that point, Max Verstappen crossed the line in the pit lane. The lap, uh, the race counted up to three laps because this time mm-hmm. the race had started 
And at that point, it became a race, and they awarded half points. Pretty terrible, really. Yeah, this has created a lot of discussion, and I think people are misunderstanding what the discussion is about. So they think that people are saying that Formula One should never have allowed the race to start, or should have made the race start, sorry. That's not what people are saying. People are saying, how can you award points in this instance where no one has done anything other than follow the safety car around? Yeah. And I fully agree with that. Now, the rule used to be 25% race distance before before points could be awarded, and they've changed it to two laps. And I, can't, I, I, I actually don't know exactly when that happened. I don't understand why. It's a good question. Two laps is not enough to make a Grand Prix. It is not. No matter what way you no. form it, it is not enough to make a Grand Prix. So why they've decided to do that. And it's been very clear that there's some, you know, there's always an angry minority who are going to say, oh, well, you should have run the race. You know, people were braver. The cars, the way they are now and the how heavy it was and the track they were at meant they couldn't run the race. That is fine. That's going to happen sometimes. It's very rare, but it is going to happen. The thing mm. is, is that they awarded points and I really don't think they should have. And it seemed like they were ticking boxes. I agree. I actually felt this because Russell's been striving to get points for a long time. And to get points as in this manner, I don't know, it must be very bittersweet because, yes, he's now got 13 points, but it's in a format which doesn't make him feel good. Like Qualifying was great for him, yes, but is that the same as getting points in a GP? And I, I don't think it is. He earned it. Um, there's no doubt in my mind he uh, he earned that second place on the grid in his qualifying lap. Agree. I'm not 100% sure that he earned the points. Also agree. Yeah. And, look, they'll take them any way they can, and it, it, it puts Williams in a an unbeatable eighth position in my mind in the championship which yeah. is fantastic for them but i still i just think they've got to come up with a better way you know and i've had people i've had people say to me why sh- it should be green flag laps it, why how can you count any laps and actually when it red flags the race result counts back two laps oh so it does that it goes back two laps to make sure that if there's been some kind of wacky incident that's caused the red flag it's going back to before that wacky incident happened that you're not getting some random result because... That is a very good idea. Right. So what that means, though, is that the cars ran three laps. Yeah. They counted back two. The race was technically only one lap old. Therefore, how can they award points? Because it didn't meet the two-lap threshold. So it's very interesting. And um, I tell you what, we keep talking about these fine margins, these little things that will affect how a championship ends up. And I think this is just another one of those that's adding up in a really big season of of fine margins of small things that add up in one way or another. Really, really interesting. Now, there's a lot of people saying the fans should be um, compensated. I I believe they should. And I've heard examples about people saying, oh, but, you know, cricket games get rained out. Well, when a cricket game gets rained out, you yeah. get your money back. <laughs> like, that's the way it works. If you lose a day of a test match, you get your money back or you get a portion of your money back. And I understand that the the race doesn't want to go bust. They must have insurance. You know, like, there's got to be a better way for all those poor people that sat in the stands for four hours waiting for a race that never happened. Formula One is fucking expensive. Like, it should be, uh, you know, people should get a refund. I, I can't see any way around it. They did not see the thing that they came for. They did not come to see qualifying. They didn't come to see the W Series. Those are all nice things they came to see most of them Dutch people, yeah. Max Verstappen, race around the track, and they did not get to see that. And so I'm 100 percent on that side. I, I fully agree. What um, what do you think? What what's the optics of it from a person who's new to it? 
person who hasn't seen this before, and generally speaking, you've really enjoyed your Formula One experience so far. What? How does it make you feel about Formula One? I mean, this is the most annoying Formula One day for me because, as a New Zealander, you wake up and expect to you know have a Grand Prix to watch. And I don't want to go online because I don't want to check any spoilers. But then I got told by Nick that there was nothing to watch. And that sucked. So for me, it sucked for me. And I wasn't even paying for it. If you're paying for it, you should get a refund. Equally, I don't think they should get points for doing as many laps as they did. Because with a three-hour delay, only three laps total, I don't think that counts as a Grand Prix. So I don't think there should be any points awarded. You could give maybe quarter points just from qualifying. But even then, it doesn't feel right. It's not the same format you're making edge case rules for a, a really weird day agreed i mean people got iffy about the sprint race yeah. thing, right and that was a planned yep. thing they knew it was coming so exactly and and people were iffy about that side of it so yeah i don't know i just think i think the communication was bad over the over the whole event i just think there's got to be a better way to understand why they couldn't run the race on monday that's fine they've got a there's another grand prix this weekend yep. so agreed. there's no time there's nothing wrong with that. To just say, hey, look, I'm sorry, we couldn't make the race happen. In my mind, that would have been a better outcome. Yeah, it's just the handling of it, right? Exactly. It's meant to be the biggest sport. In, well, it's not the biggest sport in the world, but it's certainly up there. Yeah. You know, with football, they should be able to handle these kind of events better. And like, okay, it hasn't happened before. It will probably surely, happen again. Surely there'll be a day where it rains. Exactly. We're, we're probably an amazingly lucky that it hasn't happened before, that on a Sunday at the particular place, it hasn't rained so hard they couldn't run the race. For an extended period of time and i think you know with the modern cars they aren't as good at clearing water or they're not as good at dealing with the water and the spray as they used to be they make a lot more spray right. um probably due to the downforce levels it's it's going to happen again so they they will come up with something i'm sure of that but yeah certainly created a lot of talking points anyway so that's really about all we have to talk about in the race because there was no race. So we saw, you know, well, what we did see is um, Max Verstappen ate a little bit back into Hamilton's lead and he stopped the rot. So there has been a rot for the last two races of mm. losing big chunks of points. He stopped that and reversed it. I think he probably fancied getting a few more, but um, my probable bet, you know, Hamilton's very good in the rain. Max Verstappen's very good in the rain. They were probably going to finish first and second mm. and the difference was going to be marginal anyway. Yeah, this is honestly probably better for Max in some ways. It's a small incremental guaranteed increase and now he's only three points away from Hamilton. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and you know, we've got another race again so soon at his home track. So I am really looking forward to uh, Zanvoort. Actually, I just, uh, before we came on, I just watched a, a video that I used to watch a lot when I was younger which is of Alain Prost, the uh, four-time French Formula, mm -hmm. world, Formula One world champion, going around Zandvoort in a very early turbo car in the 80s. It's a really undulating, windy, narrow track, and uh, I'm be really interested. I think the cars are going to look great around it. I don't think they'll find it easy to pass, but I know they've made some changes to the track, so looking forward to that. So, in other news... Yes, tell me what's been happening, because I haven't looked... So today, Kimi Raikkonen announced that he will not be continuing in Formula 1 next year. Right. Uh, surprise of all surprises there. I think we all knew that was coming. He's already had a break though, right? He had a break before coming back? Yes, he had a, well, a, a not self-enforced break. Uh, Ferrari let him go and decided to pay his salary for a year while he went oh. off and did rallying and uh, NASCAR and something else. I can't remember what else he did. Wow. So he's leaving, and I think um, I read a really good article today by um, Andrew Benson, who is a BBC F1 correspondent, talking about how I think Kimi leaves a bit of a hole in the grid in terms of he is an enigma, but he is very popular. 
Yeah. Kimi Raikkonen is a very popular driver because of the, his personality, and some people don't like it. I personally find it pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I've, I find him really amusing, and also he does not f- around. All the best radio moments pretty much in Formula 1 history are him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know... He is a world champion. He probably never lived up to his potential, which was very high. But he does bring, you know, a certain amount of uh, experience to the grid that I think, luckily, Alonso is still around in Hamilton. But those three really are from a different era, uh, particularly... Uh, and Vettel. Vettel as well. Right. I mean, Vettel didn't start until 2007, actually. So same as... Uh, he only had one drive in 2007. Um, so same as uh, Hamilton, I guess, to a certain extent... Really, Alonso and Raikkonen, you know, they were both racing in 2001. Yeah. So, you know, they've been 20 yeah. years in Formula One, and they're from a, they link for, they link back to a different era of Formula One when the sport was really different. Yeah. So I will miss him, but I do think um, it's time for somebody else. So all that I'm hearing, all the rumors are saying that it's going to be Valtteri Bottas, and it will be announced at the Italian Grand Prix because it's Alfa Romeo's home race will be his replacement. Oh. So Bottas does not want to go back to Williams. And obviously, I've been saying this for a long time now, it's it's a clear-cut done deal, surely, that Russell goes to... Until um, it happens, we don't know it's happening. It's it's happening, Patrick. <laughs> it's, it's happening. There's just there's just no way they can continue to, to ignore that. Well, not that they have been, but I think the risk, if they don't, is that Russell goes somewhere else. They've run out of time. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah. And they don't want to let him go, and, and why would you... So Bottas will go to uh, to to Alfa, Alfa Romeo, one of the Alphas, and um, I think the reason for that is he probably doesn't want to go back to Williams. That would be seen to be a very, very big step backwards, even though Alfa Romeo is as well. I think it's a bigger step backwards. So that leaves a seat open at Williams, right? Yeah, it does. George Russell leaves um, a hole there, and I've heard some interesting rumours around Alex Albon, actually. I would like to see Alex come back. From what I saw in the documentary, he was a promising driver who was put under high-pressure scenario, and he's got a lot, lot of potential. I, I... You don't agree? <sighs> mm. I don't know. I need to think about this because I actually think that... I think Albon doesn't have the ultimate pace, if I'm honest with you, but I, I do think he'd make a very... He's a good Formula 1 driver. He is not a world champion. I don't. I just don't see it. Now you could argue. I think look at how well Gasly's doing this year, yeah. and Gasly looked similarly bad. Yes. At Red Bull, but I do think there's a problem with that second Red Bull seat um, that makes drivers look worse than they are. Because Gasly is not a bad driver. I mean, look at Gasly this year. I would agree because he uh, was there for almost uh, half the year. Then he got dropped. Albon came in, and then he also got dropped. And I don't think it's a exactly. the second driver, though they are competent, get dropped in that seat. Perez is obviously no. not, but for the others, it's yeah, it's a problem. No, no, and I, I do think uh, that Perez has shown there's not there's no magic bullet. Yes, Perez won a race. That was in some pretty weird circumstances. Overall, Perez has looked better than the other two, but the car is better as well. Yeah. We've got uh, Steve Galaxy in the chat there saying that, that Albon is average at best, and I do. I think I probably agree with that. Fair enough. Uh, but I, I, and my only disappointment is you've got a guy like Callum Eilat, um in Formula 2. Actually, there's plenty of other good Formula 2 drivers who could be in that seat. Yeah, I agree. Now, we're not saying that, I mean, it's not a done deal yet. Albon may not end up in that Williams seat. Williams might not drop Russell. Russell might keep going. You never know, Nick. Not happening. <laughs> Russell, look, and what, what Albon does bring is experience from Red Bull. Yeah, he does. And that might be something that, you know. People would pay for. There's a lot of knowledge in there. 
Definitely. There's a lot of knowledge in there that Williams will want. I, tell you, I will miss Kimmy though. I didn't like him when I first started watching. I thought he was a bit too disagreeable in interviews, but now I find him refreshing. He's like he's like <laughs> the celery that gives you a cool crunch of coolness. It's kind of bland, but it's very nice to oh, see as yeah. a contrast. Like he just cuts through all the rubbish and just erases. And yeah, I like it. He is a never-ending supply of memes for Formula One. You know, and like I said, some of the best moments on radio, you know, come from, uh, I think he was at, uh, geez, it was the 2012, the last Grand Prix of the season. I can't remember who it was. And he was leading in a in a Lotus, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, his 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 engineer comes on the radio to tell him something and Kimmy comes back and says, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and like ever since then, that's been, and then I think later on in the race, there's a safety car and they're weaving around to warm up his tires. And the guy says, oh, you know, you need to warm up your tires. And Kevin comes on and goes, yes, 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 yes. I know, I know, I know. You don't need to tell me every 10 seconds. Oh, wonderful. Like, it's just, I know, it's just so good. It's like, just leave me alone. Well, exactly. In his words, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so... Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, so just to move on from um, from the driver talk there, uh, the Japanese Grand Prix has been cancelled for obvious COVID-19 related reasons yeah. and there will be no filler to my knowledge. Um, what we have seen is the, is the Qatar Grand Prix has been inserted there and I think that's replacing something else. I'm not 100% sure because I know we've gone from 23 to 22 races but we'll be racing at the at the same circuit MotoGP races at. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I think there's a Middle Eastern triple header at the end of the year. I think we have Qatar, we have Saudi Arabia, and then we have uh, Abu Dhabi as the last three. Now, I'm not filled with excitement. These, apart from Bahrain, the Middle Eastern racetracks tend to be not very interesting. But we shall see how that ends up. Uh, the good thing is, I guess, more races. Um, and apparently it's a 10-year deal for Qatar, so... That ain't going away. Wow. What do you mean by they are not as interesting? What's wrong with them? Not curvy enough? Not enough straights? What is wrong? Uh, well, Abu Dhabi, for example, tends to be a procession. The cars just can't overtake around there. Now, I know they've made some changes, so hopefully it'll be a bit different. Whereas Bahrain, Bahrain is, um, is pretty good. And actually, look, I say that the Middle Eastern races, we've only actually had two. We've had Bahrain and we've had... Abu Dhabi, one is good, one is not good. So right, <laughs> maybe okay. I'm being a little bit negative here. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah maybe, maybe, Nick. Yeah, maybe we need to wait and see. And um, we just got Big Big Daddy in the chat there saying that fun, funny that Formula One was willing to cancel for Japan, whereas the Olympics wouldn't, which is a really interesting point, actually. And I, I heard this talked about because I was kind of curious about this too. And I think what it comes down to is that uh, the Formula One teams all come from different places around Europe. Mm. Um, and that makes it much more of a challenge for them to comply with the regulations compared to, and then they have to go back as well, sorry, and compared to Japan. So they have to be able to go to the race and then pack everything up and leave and go to another race. Whereas after the Olympics, all the other teams could happily go back into two weeks of isolation because they didn't have anything else to do after the Olympics, whereas the Formula One team, they have more to do. So I'd imagine that's probably the primary driver on that one. It does make sense. Well, I'm looking forward to next week having a proper Grand Prix to watch. Me too. I really am. Well, this yeah, next week, so it's Thursday already. So tomorrow we've got practice and then uh, qualifying in the race. And then next weekend after that, we have the Italian Grand Prix. And I do believe that we have another sprint race for that one coming up. Which I'm excited for. I don't care what people say. I like them. Me too. I'm, I'm keen yeah. to see it happen again. Yep. I, I do wish that they'd looked at making some changes potentially between the last two. And I thought they might have talked about that already, but... It doesn't seem like we're going to get any. So maybe they're going to experiment with three and then we'll see how that goes. 
All right, well, I guess it's uh, it's been half an hour. It's time to call it a night. So thanks very much. If you have listened to the podcast, we have a um, a website, formulanun.co.nz, if you want to drop by and have a look around. We also have our own Twitter handle, at formulanunpod. Give us a tweet. Tell us what you think. Tell us how wrong we are, and uh, we'd love to hear it. Or if you have any questions as well. If you have any questions, tweet them to us, at formulanunpod. And we'll try and get through them at the next podcast, which should be around about next Thursday, talking about hopefully a Dutch Grand Prix. It is forecast to rain again, Mm. so I say hopefully very meaningfully. (laughs) All right. Say goodbye, Patrick. See you guys very soon. Say goodbye, Nikolai. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, to the Formula None podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you next time.